Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The CBS Evening News, after this short break. Today's CBS Evening News podcast is sponsored by Ancestry. Ancestry can help you discover your origins, build a family tree, and search historical records giving you more ways to connect with your family. It can even spark some interesting new conversations around the dinner table. Visit Ancestry.com to learn more. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening, and thank you so much for joining us. The U.S. may be stepping back from the brink of war. President Trump says Iran appears to be standing down after launching 16 missiles, each carrying a 1,000-pound warhead in its attack on two military bases. With the Joint Chiefs of Staff behind him, the president said today there were no American casualties, crediting an early warning system for saving lives. The president says he's now ready to talk to Iran, even as the Pentagon says tonight Iran was trying to kill U.S. troops. CBS News has also learned the FBI is warning law enforcement here at home about potential attacks. And tonight, Democrats and some Republicans on Capitol Hill are furious, saying the intelligence briefing that they just got was insulting and didn't justify the president's drone strike on top, the top Iranian general. Well, we've got our team of correspondents covering the breaking developments from Iran to the Pentagon. And Weijia Zhang leads off our coverage tonight from the White House. And Weijia, it's been an extraordinary day. Nor it has. And President Trump says Americans should be extremely happy and grateful for Iran's relatively tame response. But critics say there is no reason to celebrate, especially because tonight U.S. intelligence agencies warn more threats may be looming. Iran appears to be standing down which is a good thing for all parties concerned. Surrounded by his top military commanders in the grand foyer of the White House, President Trump seemed to declare victory. The president announced the U.S. would retaliate for last night's attacks with more sanctions, not strikes. These powerful sanctions will remain until Iran changes its behavior. He blamed that behavior on the unfounded claim that the Obama-era nuclear agreement enabled Iran to build up its military arsenal. 
the missiles fired last night at us and our allies were paid for with the funds made available by the last administration. Just hours after Mr. Trump's speech, the FBI warned local law enforcement agencies Iran could launch cyber attacks, assassination attempts, or call on other terror groups like Hezbollah to act. On Capitol Hill, senior administration officials briefed Congress on the intelligence that led the U.S. to kill Iranian General Qassem Soleimani, prompting Iran to retaliate. Democrats aren't buying it. My reaction to this briefing was it was sophomoric and utterly unconvincing. Even some Republicans said the briefing was inadequate. The worst briefing I've seen, at least on a military issue, in the nine years I've served in the United States Senate. Well, those fired up GOP senators, Mike Lee, who we just heard from, and Rand Paul said they would support a war powers resolution to limit President Trump's military action against Iran. Speaker Nancy Pelosi plans to take a vote on that measure in the House tomorrow. Nora. That criticism significant. Weija, thank you. Today, Iran's supreme leader called his country's attack a slap in the face of America. Well, tonight, we're learning more about the missiles, where they hit, and how U.S. forces knew they were coming. David Martin has more from the Pentagon. The missiles were launched from three different locations in western Iran, only minutes flying time from their targets in Iraq. U.S. officials say Iran launched a total of 16 short- to medium-range missiles mostly at al-Assad Air Base northwest of Baghdad, but also some at Erbil in northern Iraq. Commercial satellite photos of al-Assad show the craters left by the 1,000 and 2,000-pound warheads. Some officials suggested Iran had aimed to miss, in other words, hit the bases without causing casualties. But Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley, speaking to reporters off-camera, didn't think so. They were intended to... Uh, cause structural damage, uh, destroy vehicles and equipment and aircraft, and to kill personnel. U.S. intelligence had been watching for days as Iran brought its missile force to a higher state of alert. Iranian television showed elaborate underground bunkers where the missiles could be prepared for launch out of sight from spy satellites. Still, a defense official said the bases in Iraq had multiple hours warning before the launches. Plenty of time for troops to take shelter in bunkers a frequent drill since they are used to being shelled by local militias. Our movement saved American lives, one officer said. No American or Iraqi lives were lost because of the precautions taken, the dispersal of forces, and an early warning system that worked very well. General Milley says he expects Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and elsewhere to continue attacking American positions. Just a short time ago, two rockets landed in Baghdad's green zone outside the American embassy. This time, there were no casualties. Nora? All right, David, thank you. The missile launches marked Iran's boldest direct attack on American targets since an angry mob took control of the U.S. embassy back in 1979. Well, not surprisingly, Iranians are hearing a very different version of what happened last night from their state-run media. Elizabeth Palmer reports tonight from Tehran. Overall this evening, news outlets here played up Iran's missile launches and played down President Trump's speech and his announcement that there'd been no casualties. casualties. All of our soldiers are safe. 
In fact, some local media are still claiming that 80 Americans were killed. Hardliners are framing the U.S. decision not to retaliate for the strikes as a climb down. But behind the tough talk, there's widespread relief for most everyone. Iran had made it clear it didn't want a war. But what about steps to further ease tensions? In a media scrum today, we posed the question to Iran's foreign minister, Jawad Zarif. What would it take to get de-escalation going? It is up to the United States to now come to its senses and stop its adventurism in this region. In other words, Iran won't make any concessions until the U.S. gives up its bases and pulls its troops out of Iraq. And that, of course, would make it easier for Iran to expand its own influence across the region. Nora? Liz, thank you. Joining us now for his first interview since the attack, Vice President Mike Pence. Mr. Vice President, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Good to be with you. Iran's supreme leader called the attack a slap in the face. But are you worried a punch in the gut may be around the corner? Well, I think the American people can rest easier tonight, thanks to the leadership that President Donald Trump provided and the extraordinary and courageous professionalism that our military demonstrated over the last several weeks. Despite missile attacks yesterday, again, because of the professionalism uh, of our military personnel and their preparedness, uh, there were no American casualties, no Iraqi casualties, and our information as of this afternoon continues to be that Iran is standing down. I heard that, and the president saying that Iran is standing down. But are, how concerned are you that Iran is now going to begin a covert war? Well, we're, uh, we're, we're dealing with a, a country that's been the leading state sponsor of terrorism for more than 20 years. And so we'll, we'll continue to be prepared. We'll continue to confront uh, Iran in the way that President Trump has done since early in this administration. So what is the strategy in Iran? And is regime change the ultimate strategy? We don't seek regime change in Iran, but we want to see the regime change its behavior. You were there in the Situation Room last night with the president and other top uh, national security officials. Thankfully, no American lives lost. Did we get lucky or did the Iranians intentionally miss? Well, let me say that the fact that no American lives were lost was a great uh, relief, I know, to the president, uh, to myself, to our entire national security team, as it is to every American. Were we warned in advance? We, uh, we had received intelligence over the previous several days that there may be attacks coming. Um, we heard the threats. The world heard the threats from Iran. We moved forces. We provided the level of force protection at the president's direction. Uh, and in a very real sense, we had the early warning systems that allowed us to move Americans and our allies out of harm's way. Everybody who's related to one of those soldiers stationed in the Middle East is worried. Are we safer now? I believe we are safer today than uh, before uh, President Trump ordered our military to take out Qasem Soleimani. This was a man who had been leading 
uh, a terrorist state-sponsored organization in the region sowing violence. But what President Trump, our commander-in-chief, demonstrated was we have a president who is also willing to use American military might to protect American lives. One might say that taking out Soleimani is like taking a baseball bat to a hornet's nest. And those hornets are Iranian proxies, proxy groups. Are you convinced that they won't come after Americans? Well, the challenge that we face now is that Qasem Soleimani was, in fact, the primary leader of those Iranian-sponsored militias. Uh, across northern Iran and, and their influence in Syria as well. But uh, we're sending a very clear message, as we did with those five airstrikes to militia he bases. He act alone, as you know. It will not tolerate act, violence. And he act at the blessing, and with the blessing, I should say, of the Ayatollah, the supreme leader. There's no question. And frankly, we're receiving some encouraging intelligence that Iran is sending messages to those very same militias not to move against American targets or civilians. Uh, and we hope that that message continues to echo. And for more of our interview, go to our 24-7 news streaming platform, CBSN, or to cbsnews.com. We also asked the vice president about the upcoming impeachment trial. Now to that mysterious plane crash overnight in Iran that killed 176 people, including at least 63 Canadians. Iranian officials are refusing to share the flight recorders with outside investigators. And there are questions about whether the plane had mechanical issues or was shot down. Chris Van Cleve reports. Video appears to show Ukrainian International Airlines Flight 572 on fire and hurtling towards the ground, killing all on board. It crashed minutes after takeoff. Flight data abruptly silenced as the plane was climbing towards 8,000 feet. It happened just hours after Iran fired rockets into Iraq, prompting speculation something could have brought down the plane. Holes in some wreckage at the crash site drew comparisons to damage done to the Malaysia air flight that was shot out of the sky over Ukraine five years ago, prompting questions for Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Can you um, say categorically, one way or another, that the plane was not shot down? I cannot. Uh, it is too early to speculate. Iranian officials immediately blamed mechanical problems, but the three-year-old 737 passed a safety inspection just two days prior. The FAA had warned pilots to stay out of the area. Among the dead were several children, college students, and newlyweds. Chris joins us. What do we know about this plane? Well, Nora, it was a relatively new plane, just about three years old. The airline had a sterling safety history. Now, this was a 737, but it was not one of the grounded 737 MAX airliners. And obviously, this crash comes at a difficult time for Boeing, where public confidence is already at a low point. Right. Nora? Chris, thank you so much. Tonight, there's stunning news about Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan. They're essentially quitting the royal family. Can they really do that? And what does the Queen have to say? Mark Phillips answers all of our burning questions tonight on this royal mess. Meghan and Harry were just back in London after spending the holidays in Canada, away from the royal whirlwind they've come to despise. <laughs> they had such a good time, they not only went to the Canadian embassy to say thank you. Oh my goodness, it was just such an incredible time that we were able to have there. It seems they'll be spending a lot more time there. 
In a statement that has rocked the royal world, they said, We intend to step back as senior members of the royal family. We now plan to balance our time between the United Kingdom and North America. It's been a rough ride since the glittering wedding. Meghan says she was warned of the pressures of royal scrutiny, especially for an American with a biracial background. The cracks began to show. My British friend said to me, I'm sure he's great, but you shouldn't do it because the British tabloids will destroy your life. And in the Royals versus Meghan battle, he took her side. I will always protect my family, and now I have a family to protect. But the plot thickened here once the statement was released. Buckingham Palace issued its own statement, saying essentially, not so fast. Discussions, the royal family says, are at an early stage. These things are complicated. It seems Meghan and Harry didn't ask before they dropped their bombshell. The palace is said to be disappointed. Nora, this is an over. And more complicated than ever. Mark, thank you. President Trump approved an emergency declaration for Puerto Rico today, clearing the way for earthquake relief. The island was hit again today, this time by a magnitude 4.9 aftershock. And late today, CBS News got a look inside a badly damaged power plant. We are told many will be without power several hours a day for weeks. In a new interview, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg tells CNN she is cancer-free. The 86-year-old justice, known as Notorious RBG, is a four-time cancer survivor. And there's this encouraging news tonight. The American Cancer Society says cancer death rates in the U.S. fell by more than 2 percent between 2016 and 2017. Guess what? That is the largest single-year drop ever recorded, and it's credited to fewer people smoking and improved lung cancer screening. Some good news. At eight years old, Naomi Short has a big personality. Since September, she's been battling for her life, and her whole town has joined the fight. Here's Dean Reynolds. From the merchants on High Street to the kids at her school, everyone in Hamilton, Ohio, seems to be pulling for Naomi Short. Do you think you can wish her to get well? Yes. (laughs) Do you hear the E? Naomi's third-grade teacher is Heather Schenk. I think about her all the time. Sorry, I don't mean to get emotional, but... It's an emotional subject. It's a lot. Naomi is going through stage four brain cancer. She's had 30 rounds of radiation, four surgeries, and soon comes chemo. Chances of survival, 30%. My dream is just to get everything, like, every treatment over with and to just hang out with my friends again. And Hamilton is practically willing her to recover. Teachers and kids wear blue in solidarity and boxes dot business counters to pitch in with medical bills. I'll get the wax. Sherry Hoskins' candle shop features a chocolate cake-scented version which Naomi designed. How have your customers responded? Unbelievable. They have come from all over just to buy this candle or to come in and put money into our donation box. Yeah, I love unicorns. In a time of division in this country, the people of Naomi's hometown found a reason to unite behind an eight-year-old girl who loves unicorns. Makes me feel so happy that everybody cares about me this much. They do, Naomi. They really do. Dean Reynolds, CBS News, Hamilton, Ohio. 
And then tomorrow, CBS Evening News, the illness that's filling emergency rooms and has so many parents on edge worried about their children's health. We've got important information for you. That's tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell in Washington. We will see you right back here tomorrow. Hope you have a good night. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.